Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Featured 
a book written by Gary Zukav titled The Seed of the Soul. And many of you who listened to the show found the book to be very interesting and informative with regard to uh, basically the essence of the personality, what we call personality versus the soul of a person. And with this evening's show, we will, again, continue to talk about this with an emphasis on the section dealing with the laws of karma and the essence of being in the state of reverence. As many of us are celebrating Christmas, as we mentioned earlier, and starting tomorrow, we'll be, we'll be celebrating uh, Kwanzaa. Yeah. Right? And that's that's going to be equally as exciting, if not more so. Uh, Absolutely. It's going to be for what the, the whole week, as a matter of fact. And when we celebrate these holidays, we are reminded of how important it is to understand the laws of karma and the need to incorporate the relationship of being in a state of reverence towards each other. Uh, the human spirit, as it is a subject that inspires one to realize the unlimited perceptions of reality, be it with, uh, should I say, coming from a Western European or coming from an Afrocentric perspective, we have the opportunity to explore perceptions and values from a, a holistic platform of, of discussion. And today, or should I say this evening, we will discuss and review the, the book authored by Gary Zukav titled The Seed of the Soul. Um, I must add also that in future shows, we will discuss books written by Dr. Amos Wilson, uh, the, titled, one book titled The Forcification of African Consciousness, uh, Dr. Joy DeGray. Uh, she uh, has a very uh, uh, potent book, uh, uh, Getting Rave Reviews, titled Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome, America's Legacy to, of Enduring Injury and Healing. And then we have Dr. Wade Nobles, Afrocentric and the Black Family, Afrocentricity in the Black Family, the development of a theoretical model. And then uh, our esteemed Dr. Naeem Akbar, The Psychology of Slavery and Last but not least, Dr. Jeffrey Gardier, uh, who happens to live here in Brooklyn with us. Now he's a neighbor. Uh, Dr. Jeffrey Gardier has a uh, very interesting book titled Post-Dramatic Slavery Disorder. Uh, with the same extraordinary skill that he used to demystify scientific abstraction uh, and the new physics, Gary Zukav, the award-winning author of The Dance and Wulai Masters, here takes us on a brilliant and penetrating exploration of the new phase of evolution that we have entered. Uh, Zukov explains that we are evolving from a species that pursues power based upon the perceptions of the five senses, basically external power, into a species that pursues authentic power. And that is, he states, power that is based upon the perceptions and values of spirit. He also shows how the pursuit of external power has produced our survival of the fittest understanding of evolution, which has basically generated conflict between lovers, communities, and superpowers, and has brought us to the edge of destruction. So Gary, by using his scientist's eye and the philosopher's heart, Zukov shows how infusing the activities of live and uh, the essence of life, living it in a mode of reverence, compassion, and trust makes them come alive with meaning and purpose. He illustrates how the emerging values of the spirit are changing marriages into spiritual partnerships, psychology into spiritual psychology, and transforming our everyday lives, And as quoted by Dr. Brian Wise. So I just want to uh, invite you to relax and feel free to share your thoughts in the chat room. If you'd like to uh, have any thoughts and comments uh, shared on the air, please feel free to indicate that in the chat room, and I'll be definitely uh, uh, glad to share that with the listening audience. And of those of you who are listening in via phone, please feel free, if you care, to share some thoughts with us to uh, push the button, the number one button, and uh, I will definitely uh, know that that's an indication that you wish to speak, and it would be a pleasure to have you uh, share with us 
your thoughts and comments on this show. I also would like to add that uh, one of the reasons why I do this show is not only to review books and and to, uh, in some areas, be in a position to teach and share knowledge that perhaps many of you may not know about uh, uh, as related to this book that we're reviewing, The Seed of the Soul, but also to facilitate those who are bedridden, those who cannot read, uh, those who um, who can read but cannot afford to purchase books or don't have the wherewithal to acquire books, whether it be through a bookstore or online. Uh, so we're actually servicing and providing a, uh, a service to those who may be challenged in terms of accessing books such as this book titled The Seed of the Soul by Gary Zukav. So uh, please hold on for a moment, and I will take a short break and be back with you shortly. Thank everyone for uh, taking your time this Christmas evening to share your uh, your moments with us during this show. Uh, we're pretty excited about discussing the topic of karma. Uh, most of us, as I'm quoting from Gary Zukav, he states that most of us are accustomed to the belief that our participation in the process of evolution is limited to the duration of a single lifetime. And he states that this belief reflects the perspective of the five-century personality. From the point of view of a five-century personality, nothing of itself lasts beyond its lifetime. And there is nothing in the experience of the five-century human that is not of itself. However, the multi-century human, too, understands that nothing of itself lasts beyond its lifetime but it is also aware of its mortal or immortal soul. The lifetime of your personality is one of a myriad of experiences of your soul. The soul exists outside of time. The perspective of the soul is immense, and the perception of the soul is without the limitations of the personality. Souls that have chosen the physical experience of life as we know it as a path of evolution, have in general incarnated their energies many times into many psychological and physical forms. For each incarnation, the soul creates a different personality and body. The personality and the body that for the five-sensory human are the experimental entirety of its existence are for its soul the unique and perfectly suited instruments of a particular incarnation. Each personality contributes to its own special way, with its own special aptitudes and lessons to learn, consciously or unconsciously, through the evolution of its soul. The life of a mother, a warrior, a daughter, a priest, the experiences of love, vulnerability, fear, loss, and tenderness, the struggles with anger, defiance, emptiness, and jealousy, all serve the evolution of the soul. Each physical, emotional, and psychological characteristic that comprises a personality and its body, strong or weak arms, dense or penetrating intellect, happy or despairing disposition, yellow or black skin, even hair and eye color, is perfectly suited to its soul's purpose. 
The five sensory personality is not aware of the many other incarnations of its soul. However, a multi-sensory personality may be conscious of these incarnations or experience them as its own past or future, or future lives. They are in its family of lives, so to speak, but they are not lives that it itself has lived. They are experiences of its soul. From the point of view of uh, the soul, all of its incarnations are simultaneous, and all of its personalities exist at once. Therefore, the release of negativity that occurs in one of the soul's incarnations benefits not only itself, but all of its soul's other incarnations. Hmm, that's interesting. Because the soul itself is not confined to time, the past of a personality, as well as its future, is enhanced when a personality releases current of fear and doubt. As we shall see, the release of negativity by personality benefits a great many of other dynamics of consciousness as well. Many of these can be perceived by the five-century human, but appear to him or her neither as dynamics of consciousness, nor as related to his or her inner processes, such as the consciousness and evolution of his or her sex, race, nation, and culture. Others extend far beyond the perceptual ability of the five-century human. A conscious lifetime, therefore, is a treasure beyond value. The personality and its body are artificial aspects of the soul, and when they have served their functions at the end of the soul's incarnation, the soul releases them. They come to an end, but the soul does not. After an incarnation, the soul returns to its immortal and timeless state. It returns once again to its natural state of compassion, clarity, and boundless love. And this is the context in which our evolution occurs. The continual incarnation and reincarnation of the energy of the soul into the physical arena, into our earth school. And why does this happen, he says? Why is it necessary even to speak of personality and souls? The incarnation of a soul is a massive reduction of the power of the soul to a scale that is appropriate to a physical form. It is a reduction of an immortal life system into the framework of time and the span of a few years, it is the reduction of a perceptual system that partakes simultaneously through direct experience of countless lifetimes, and some of them physical and some of them non-physical, to the five physical senses. The soul chooses voluntarily to undertake this experience in order to heal. He says it takes this experience in order to heal. The personality is those parts of the soul that require healing. Along those parts of the soul, such as the compassion and love that the soul has lent to the process of healing in that lifetime, the splintered aspects of the soul, the aspects that require healing, need to interact in physical matter so that each part of the splinteredness can become whole. The personality is like a complex mandala that is formed from these splintered parts in addition to the parts that are not splintered. It comes directly from the parts of the soul that the soul has chosen to work on in this lifetime to heal. And that need to experience physical matter and those parts of the soul have given to the process of healing in which we are involved. Therefore, we can see within a person's personality the splintered suffering of the soul from which it is formed, as well as the grace that the soul has entered, which is the loving part of the personality. He states, consider how powerful the soul is if it can have a part of itself that experiences great love, a part of itself that experiences fears, a part that is perhaps neutral, a part that experiences schizophrenia, and a part that is dramatically compassionate. If any of these parts are incomplete, the personality that the soul forms will be out of harmony. The harmonious personality is one in which the soul flows easily through the part of itself that is in touch with its physical incarnation. And as I mentioned in the previous show, we have in our lifetime, in this personality state that we're in, we know of souls that existed. Even today, in this evening, we celebrate the birth of Christ. And he was, his soul, his, his essence, 
being in the image of God, and my wife knows more about this because she is uh, very learned and uh, as, as one who is a uh, interfaith minister such as myself, but has a, a degree, a PhD in theology. Um, and I, I'm following suit, and I learned so much from her. But I know that there are those of us who are Christians who are aware of the compassion that Christ had. What is the statement? He says, uh, forgive them, O Lord, for they know not what they do it. He had no fear of going into transition because he knew that he was immortal, that he was in his body, that he was one with, with the Most High, with God. He was God the essence of God, which we all are. We have that same essence of, of, of us. So it's very difficult for us to, uh, at times, remind ourselves, except during periods such as celebrating the birth of Christ and Christmas, where we are reminded that we are not our bodies, that we are uh, son and daughters of, of the Most High God, that we are actually spirit. Gary starts to say again regarding the soul. The soul is, and it has, he says, it has no beginning and no end, but flows toward wholeness. The personality emerges as a natural force from the soul. It is an energy tool that the soul adapts to function within the physical world. And each personality is unique because the configuration of the energy of the soul that formed it is very unique. And the persona of the soul, so to speak, that interacts with physical matter, it is a product that is formed with the vibrational aspect of your name, the vibrational aspect of your relationship to planets at the time of your incarnation, the vibrational aspects of your energy environment, as well as from the splintered aspects of your soul that need to interact in the physical matter in order to be brought into wholeness. So, yes. Our name is very important that some of us to recognize that the name that we were given by our parents may not be appropriate for this particular incarnation. Even if you do not believe in reincarnation, it just doesn't feel right for you to be called a certain name. There are many of us, even when we're given a name, such as my name, uh, that I was given Wesley, people choose to call me Wes at times. And I used to go along with that. But I recognized that, no, the, the, the two syllables were indicative of a certain energy, a certain vibration. So I would insist that someone would call me Wesley as opposed to Wes. And even that word West would be, they would say West with a T. So I would be having a connotation of my name being associated with a Western type of uh, orientation as opposed to Eastern. All of these things went through my mind. Consciously and subconsciously. And then at one time I embraced the name of uh, Wahid, which means one who is in one with God. Uh, now, my name now is Baba and Tahuti. And I acquired that name by um, my meeting my, my, my significant other, my wife, and her practicing the teachings of Ma'at. I had no knowledge at that time meaning of the word Tehudi, or, for that matter, the, the, the teachings of, of Mahat. So it's been a learning process for me for the last six years as my wife and I have been together in, in, in this journey as, as husband and wife and as ministers to serve the Most High and to serve our fellow man and woman, that uh, we recognize that, yes, indeed, the name is very significant to explain who you are to indicate to those who meet you, who think of you, that when they mention your name, that it resonates a certain vibration, a certain uh, resonance. And it's also, as he states, that uh, the personality uh, is, is unique because of the configuration of the energy of the soul that is formed when it is born. in terms of the relationship to the planets at the time of incarnation. These are things that are very real. The vibration aspect of your energy environment, 
how you keep your place that you live. How do you, they, some, some schools of thought, they call it feng shui. What is the energy? How is it flowing through your home, through the environment that you live? But more importantly, how is the energy flowing through your body? How are you taking care of your body? And uh, that's dealing with karma in, in respect to that for every action there is a reaction. It may be opposite. It may be not opposite, but it is an equal reaction. So uh, I, I, I'm as a runner, I know that uh, for my community of colleagues who who run, we always had this uh, uh, this statement we shared amongst each other that the body keeps score. Whatever we put in, the body registers in terms of exercise and food and diet. And, of course, the same thing with our thoughts, the same things with our deeds, how we treat ourselves, and, of course, how we treat each other. We have to pay the dues. Gary states to say that the body does not operate independently from the soul to the extent that a person is in touch with spiritual debts. The personality is soothed because the energy of consciousness is focused on its energy core and not on its artificial facade, which is the personality. Personality sometimes appears as a force running rampant in the world with no attachment to the energy of the soul. Would you have anything you wanted to share, honey, about that, what we were just talking about? I agree with you about the name that you're not only given but also accept is very important because that name defines you, it defines your aspect, it defines your energy. Mm-hmm. And when people call you out of name, that's a problem. Mm. And that, that happens, that happens especially in this Western society because um, there is not a great deal of reverence mm. in the Western society. We don't have a lot of reverence for the elderly. We don't have a lot of reverence for each other. And it's and coupled with the age that we're living in. Mm. And so people tend to call others out of name and tend to be offended when you ask them not to do that. Uh-huh. Isn't that something? That's another dynamic that's happening. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, my recommendation is when someone calls you out of name, firmly but gently say to them, oh, no, please, you know, address me as this. And, uh, you know, you have to just insist that they do it. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's not, it's, it's not this you... Uh, trying to set them straight, but it is your right. They're obligated to respect your name. Otherwise, they're not being reverent. And also, they're incurring negative karma. Yeah. They don't realize that, but they mm-hmm. are. Because there are various levels of negativity, just as well as there are various levels of being positive. If people understood and accepted the law of karma, their behavior would be vastly different. Mm -hmm. Some people understand it. They understand the concept. They understand the law. But they're like, oh, that doesn't apply to me. That's not my religion. That's not my, you know, so they they understand it. They're clear what it is, but they're not willing to embrace it because maybe that's not part of their orientation. And some people embrace the concept of karma, but they don't fully understand it. But what I find is that you have to have both. You have to be able to embrace it as well as understand to work fully in your life and assist you in bringing about change. Mm-hmm. As you were mentioning earlier in your show today, this morning, that uh, even though you can't see it, you know that there's gravity. Yes. Even though you can't see it, you know that uh, 
people are hearing uh, what we're saying through an electrical process, a frequency. That's right. Right? And and there's so many other phenomena that we cannot really uh, prove on a physical plane, but we know that it exists. But we still have those of us who doubt this concept of multi-sensory perception and, and the law of karma. It states in the Bible that uh, the sins of the father are inherited by the son. Am I correct? That, that those sins can be, misdeeds can be transferred to your, your loved one? From generations to come, yeah. Generations to come. And unless you don't love your family, have no concern about your the generations that will be coming behind you, you'll be very mindful, even if it's not just for yourself, but just so you don't pass on negative energy and create drama for those generations that come behind you. Women be more reverent. Uh, Gary goes on to state that the personality sometimes appears as a force running rampant in the world with no attachment to the energy of its soul. And this, situ this situation can be the origin of what we call an evil human being. And it can be the origin of a schizophrenic human being. It is the result of personality being unable to find its reference point, a connection, or its mothership, which is the soul. The conflicts of the human's life are directly proportional to the distance at which an energy of personality exists separately from the soul, and therefore, as we shall see, is an irresponsible position of creation. When a personality is in full balance, you cannot see where it ends and where the soul begins. That is a whole human being. He states, what is involved in the healing of the soul? Most of us are accustomed to the idea that we are responsible for some of our actions, but not all of them. We consider ourselves responsible, for example, for the good deed that brings our neighbor and us together, or for the responsibility of it responding to it possibly, positively. But we do not consider ourselves responsible for the arguments between us and our neighbor, or for responding to it negatively. We consider ourselves responsible for having a safe trip if we take the time to check the condition of the car before starting. But if we speed around a car that, in our opinion, has been traveling too slowly and almost caused an accident by doing that, we consider the other driver to be responsible. If we feed and clothe ourselves through our successful business, we credit ourselves. And if we feed and clothe ourselves by burglarizing apartments, we blame our difficult childhood. For many of us, of us being held responsible is equal to getting caught. He goes on to state that if a child dies early in life, we do not know what agreement we've made between that child's soul and the soul of his parents, or what healing was served by the experience. Although we are sympathetic to the anguish of the parents, we cannot judge the event. If we are the parents of that child and understand that the impersonal nature of the dynamic that is in motion, we may react with anger towards the universe and towards each other, or with guilt if we feel that our actions are inadequate. And all of these actions create karma and more lessons for the soul to learn, more karma debts for the soul to pay appear. In order to become whole, the soul must become balanced with its energy. It must experience the effect that it has caused. The energy imbalances in the soul are the incomplete parts of the soul that form the personality. The personalities and interaction of souls that are seeking to heal, and whether interaction between souls is healing or not, depends upon whether the personality involved can see beyond itself and that of the personality of the interactions of their souls. And this perception automatically draws forth com compassion. And every experience and every interaction provides you with the opportunity to look from the point of view of your soul or from the point of view of your personality. And he goes on to state, what does this mean in practical terms? 
How does a personality begin to look beyond itself and see its soul in interactions with the souls of others? Since we cannot know what is being healed through each interaction, what comic debts are coming to conclusion, we cannot judge what we see. For example, when we see a person sleeping in a gutter in the winter, we do not know what is being completed for that soul. We do not know whether the soul has engaged in cruelty to it in, in another lifetime, nor has chosen, or should I say which now has chosen to experience the same dynamic from an entirely different point of view as, for example, the, the target of charity. It is appropriate that we respond to his or her circumstance with compassion, but it is not appropriate that we perceive it as unfair because it is not. He states that there are personalities that are selfish and hostile and negative, but even in those cases we cannot fully know the reasons why. These are hidden from view. That does not mean that we cannot recognize negativity when we see it, but we cannot judge it. That is not our place. If we intervene in an argument or break up a fight, it is not appropriate that we judge the participants. Of one thing we can be certain, a person that is engaging in violence is hurting deeply because a healthy and balanced soul is incapable of harming another. And when we judge, he states, we create negative karma. Judgment is a function of the personality. When we say of another soul she is worthy or he is not worthy, we create negative karma. When we say of an action that this is right or that is wrong, we create negative karma. This does not mean that we should not act appropriately to the circumstance of which we find ourselves. If our car is hit by another car, for example, the driver of the other car is drunk, it is appropriate that the other driver be held responsible through the courts for the repair of our car. It is inappropriate that he or she be prohibited from driving while intoxicated. It, I'm sorry, it is appropriate that he or she be permitted or prohibited from driving while intoxicated. It is not appropriate that we allow our actions to be motivated by feelings of indignation, righteousness, or victimization. These feelings are the result of judgments that we make about ourselves and other persons, assessments through which we see ourselves as superior or another being. If we act upon these feelings, not only do we increase the karmic obligations of our soul, but we also are not able to enter into these feelings and learn from them. Feelings, as we shall see, are the means through which we can discern the parts of itself that the soul seeks to heal and through which we come to see the action of the soul in physical matter. The road to your soul is through your heart. And thus we find ourselves today on Christmas and beginning tomorrow during the time of Kwanzaa for the next week, that we have to relate to each other from our hearts in a state of forgiveness, in a state of love, in a state of oneness, and understanding that we're not inferior, that we're not superior to one another, but we are interdependent upon one another. Once we realize that we all are interdependent upon one another, then we're able to maintain a state of connectedness. And in that state of connectedness, uh, it seems as if we're able to incorporate a mode of, of getting rid of negative karma. Because that's, I think what Gary's saying is that when we hold on to this negative energy that we don't want to forgive, and it's holidays such as Christmas which allows uh, billions of people throughout the world to be in a state of forgiveness, mm -hmm. to be in a state of collective love and, and collective, um, uh, in a mode of, 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 of feeling soulful for that matter. Because we're reminded of a soul that existed in the human form some 2,011 years ago. Am I correct? Yes. 2,011 years ago, there was a living human being. But in the form of a spirit within the form of a human being that was just 
perfectly connected with its soul and its personality in its human form. I dare say that there are many other human beings that lived during that period and that are alive today, who are incarnated, who come time and time again to give humanity guidance, to teach, to remind us that we are spiritual beings having a human experience as opposed to human beings sometimes having a spiritual experience. Did you have something to share with that, or is this, I'm just looking at you and wondering? Uh, no, I love you, wife. <laughs> Thank you, but I didn't have anything to share about that. Okay. You can always feel free, of course, to uh, chime in. All right. And share uh, thoughts. Uh, I didn't anticipate this, but Gary goes on to state that if we are to engage in the viewpoint of the soul, we must cease from judging even those events that appear to be unfathomable, such as the cruelty of, of an inquisition of a holocaust, the death of an infant, the prolonged agony of the death by cancer, or a life confined to a bed. We do not know what is being healed in these sufferings. All the details of the energetic circumstance that is coming into balance. It is appropriate that we allow ourselves to feel the compassion that such circumstances call forth in us and to act upon it. But if we allow ourselves to judge these events and those who participate in this, we create negative karma that must be balanced. And we ourselves will be among those souls that choose to participate in circumstances that are necessary to that balancing. If we do not judge, how can there be justice? Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi, was beaten several times during his life. And although, although on two occasions he nearly died, he refused to prosecute his attackers because he saw that they were doing what they thought was right. This position of non-judgmental acceptance was central in Gandhi's life. The Christ did not judge even those who spit in, who spat in his face or who subjected him without mercy to his pain and humiliation. He asked forgiveness, not vengeance. For those who tortured him, did neither the Christ nor Gandhi know the meaning of justice. He states, they knew non-judgmental justice. What is non-judgmental justice? Gary states. He states that non-judgmental justice is a perception that allows you to see everything in life, but does not engage your negative emotions. Non-judgmental justice relieves you of the self appointed judge, or should I say job of being the judge and jury, because you know that everything is being seen. Nothing escapes the law of karma, and this brings forth understanding and compassion. Non-judgmental justice is the freedom of seeing what you see and experiencing what you experience without responding negativity. negativity. It allows you to experience directly the unobstructed flow of intelligence, the radiance and love of the universe of which our physical reality is a part. Non-judgmental justice flows naturally from understanding the soul and how it evolves. Thus, then, is the framework of our revolutionary process, the continual incarnation and reincarnation of the energy of the soul into physical reality for the purposes of healing and balancing its energy in accordance with the law of karma. Within this framework, within this framework, we evolve as individuals, as a species, and through the cycle of being empowered to becoming empowered, and yet the experiences that we encounter in this process need not be the kind that we have encountered up until now. Thus ends the chapter on Ah, that was quite a bit. I'm, I'm, I'm reminded to think of Elhaz, Malik El-Shabaz, Malcolm X, 
when he knew that he was about to be assassinated and he told all of his bodyguards not to worry, that he was okay. You know, he was able to go to the Audubon Ballroom and to accept his fate. I mean, he, he actually embraced uh, the, the, the essence of what Christ did. The same thing applies to uh, Martin Luther King. He, his speech, I've, I've been to the mountaintop. He knew that his his time was, was limited. Uh, indeed, each of us knows that, it, that the time will come where our life will come to an end. And what do we need to do? What would be desirable for us to do, individually and collectively, is to understand that, indeed, we are a soul, foremost, that we are not our bodies, and to not fear leaving this body. However, in the same token, that we should also be mindful that we need to take care of this body, to be reverent to the gift of having this body in this incarnation, so that we can fulfill our life's purpose. Because as we fulfill our life's purpose, then we do not have to repeat the journey again to, to go through the lessons that need to be learned so that we can do what is right, so we can be in alignment. But that's one of the reasons why I'm thinking as I sit here reading this book, The Seed of the Soul by Gary Zukav, that I am uh, fulfilling my life's purpose. I'm being drawn more and more closer to being in tune with my soul. By me having a lovely wife who's on the same journey with me in so many ways, more ways than one, it, it gives me a sense of fulfillment. It makes me feel as if I'm in alignment. Thank you. She keeps me in check. I, I must say that in more ways than one. And we need that. And I might say that sometimes I might keep her in check on many levels. But that's what marriage is about, is working as partners and assisting one another in our journey. Assisting each other to, to heal and to maintain our, uh, our healness so that we do not become splintered again as splintered souls. Oh yes, that's why it's so important for us to be in a state of reverence and, and being in a state of prayer and meditation, chanting, doing all those things that allow you to be in, in consciousness of the essence of your soul, being at one with the Most High. To have the essence of the Most High on your mind be in connection with the cosmos, to be in connection with God, regardless of what name that we give the one most high, to know that there is this one, one source, spirit is spirit. So we're going to take a break, and we'll be back to uh, start uh, discussing what Gary Zukov has to share with us about the essence of reverence.
that earlier. Uh, talk about that with regard to the name that we're given and those who do not respect that name. Yeah. Being in the state of reverence. Gary states that the framework of karma and reincarnation in which we evolve is neutral. The action Actions and reactions in the physical arena set energy into motion, forming our experiences and revealing in the process the lessons that the soul has yet to learn. When our actions create discord in another person, we ourselves in this lifetime or in another will feel that discord. Likewise, if our actions create harmony, and empowerment in another, we also will come to feel that harmony and empowerment. And this allows us to experience the efforts of what we have created, and thereby to learn to create responsibly. The framework of karma and reincarnation is impersonal. and provides for each soul in response to the actions of its personalities, the experiences that it requires in order to evolve. Therefore, the orientation or the attitude with which a personality approaches the evolutionary process determines the nature of the experiences that would be required for the evolution of its soul. An angry, an angry personality, for example, will respond to the difficulties of its life with anger and thereby bring into being the necessity of experiencing the results of anger. A sorrowful person will respond sorrowfully and bring into being the necessity of experiencing the results of sorrow and so on. A person who is angry and yet reveres life, however, will respond very differently to the difficulties of his or her life uh, than a person who is angry and has no reverence for life. A person who has no reverence for life will not hesitate to strike out against life. The violence that is least in killing another person or another living creature is much greater than the violence that is released in speaking angry words. However, the karmic obligation, the energy imbalance that is created by killing can be balanced only by the experience of a commiserate brutality. Thus, a person who is reverent, reverent will automatically be spared the severe karmic consequences of one who is not. Even if all of our species was reverent, that would not end the need for us to move through our own evolution. It would just change the quality of the learnings within the process of evolution. In other words, if we became reverent this day, we would not be exempt from the demands of our evolution, but the quality of the experiences that we would encounter would be different. We would not harm life. We would still learn the same thing, but not in the process of learning. We would not seek to harm or to destroy. Our journey from powerlessness to authentic empowerment would continue, but the nature of that experience would change. We would not encounter the types of experiences that result from the perception of the world that lacks reverence. We see life as cheap, and this perception pervades all of our perceptions. When we look at the animal kingdom, for example, we see the activities within this kingdom as verification of our evaluation of life. We see animals kill and feed upon other animals. And we conclude that weaker forms of life exist only to nourish the stronger. We justify our expectation of life upon which we perceive to be the design of nature. We maim and kill we create situations in which millions of people starve while we store grain in silos and pour milk down drains. We look upon each other as prey to satisfy our emotion and physical needs. We say it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world and that to survive in it we must take advantage of others before they take advantage of us. We look upon life as a contest that produces winners and losers and we feel no restraints upon us when 
we, the needs of other people or other groups threaten us. Our behavior and values are so much shaped by perceptions that lack reverence that we do not know what it is like to be reverent. When we curse a competitor or strive to disempower another person, we absent ourselves from reverence. When we work to take instead of give, we labor without reverence. When we strive for safety at the expense of another person's safety, we deprive ourselves of the protection of reverence. When we judge one person as superior and another as inferior, we depart from reverence. When we judge ourselves, we do the same thing. Business, politics, education, sex, raising families, and personal interactions without reverence all produce the same result. Human beings using other human beings. Our species has become arrogant. We behave as though the earth was ours to do with as we please. We pollute its land, oceans, and atmosphere to satisfy needs without thinking of the needs of the other life forms that live upon the earth, or of the needs of the earth itself. We believe that we are conscious and that the universe is not. We think and act as though our existence as living forces in the universe will end with this lifetime, and that we are responsible neither to others nor to the universe. It is not possible for a reverent person to exploit his or her friends, co-workers, city, nation, or planet. It is not possible for a reverent species to create chase systems, child labor, nerve gas, or nuclear weapons. Therefore, it is not possible for a reverent person or a reverent species to accumulate the type of calmer that such activities create. I'm, I'm mindful, and I think of, uh, that again, holidays such as Christmas and during the week of Kwanzaa, which should be celebrated all during the year, the essence of that, which would allow us to be more reverent towards one another. Uh, where we have in the Western society, we play sports, and there has to be a winner or a loser. In some of the sports, we don't mind hurting one another. There's a, an agreement that, yes, if you play certain sports, blood can be drawn, whether it be boxing or football or basketball, uh, whatever sport, hockey. And it's somewhat of a schizophrenic or, or just a, uh, not a healthy state of mind. And it seems as if maybe there needs to be a conversation about that. Because where do you draw the line between hurting one another in sports as opposed to hurting one another in war? Where do you draw the line? So this is something that we have to consider and we have to perhaps uh, definitely come back to in our next show and talk about the things that Gary Zukov shares with us in his book. And this section, of course, that I'm referring to called Reverence, where we recognize that indeed one has to understand that individually and collectively we create the conditions that we have within our communities. Uh, we have here in New York City my wife and I live here in New York in certain communities where uh, crime is rampant. We have youth shooting each other, killing each other, and adults for that matter. But who did they learn how to behave? They learned how to behave from the adults. And how do they learn from the adults? By us engaging in certain activities that are not in a state of reverence. And then, of course, we as adults learn by uh, government. We learn by our country as how we interact with other countries, with other governments, by justifying going to war, by justifying uh, having millions of people starve to death, by women, of course, the, uh, the world being treated in an inhuman way through sex exploitation and other exploitation, by child labor, just a host of things that we can just mention. Uh, 
that are not really speaking about collectively living in a state of reverence. And those of us who do not have a problem with that um, philosophically or spiritually, we have to hold ourselves accountable. How are we being proactive in dealing with the process of changing that from the way it is of non-reverence to becoming reverent? So, I um, we're coming to the conclusion of the show, and I just want to sh- share with you that my wife uh, has a, uh, a a a health show uh, this dealing with the diabetes, and I think it's important that we mention this because of uh, the holiday season. Many of us are engaging in certain health habits. And there was a brother who we met a couple of years ago, uh, Brother Damien Garganius. He and his wife won the Biggest Loser uh, TV show. And um, we happened to be uh, participating, and I think it may have been a march for cancer, breast cancer, or one of the health uh, marches in uh, a local park here in, in in Brooklyn, New York. And he made a statement that resonated with me that, uh, many of us are one meal away from being diagnosed with diabetes. So uh, my wife, uh, she's a uh, she's healed from from diabetes. She's recovered recovered uh, diabetic, and um, she offers a free introductory metaphysical workshops in in New York area. Uh, but along with that, uh, with uh, dealing with divinations and candle work and meditation. She also conducts a free support group for those diagnosed with type 1 and type 2 diabetes um, for individuals as well as their families and their caretakers. Uh, the support group is built on a holistic and spiritual principles, and um, my wife uh, very diligently has been distributing holistic uh, literature, and uh, she has a wealth of information for holistic remedies for those who are afflicted with diabetes. And these remedies she has actually personally used, and it's available for purchase uh, or in person here in New York City uh, or online. And you can access uh, these remedies by going, uh, visiting her website, which is uh, the new diabetic solution dot com. The new diabetes solution dot com. I'll repeat that. www dot Solution.com. So feel free to uh, contact her for additional information uh, by going to that site. You can have the wherewithal to contact Queen Mother Spirit Change. So this concludes uh, this evening's show. And also, I must not forget to mention again about uh, purchasing a drum at my website, drumsofchange.com. With Kwanzaa approaching this coming week, and, of course, as I mentioned, we should be practicing the principles of Kwanzaa throughout the year. Uh, that every family, especially those of us of African descent, have a drum in the home and a designated drummer. And you can purchase a drum, very reasonably priced, uh, from $19 on up with our t- uh, expert craftsmanship from West Africa at www.drumsofchange.com. So this concludes our show. and. And uh, I must uh, invite you back again next week. And we give thanks to all listeners and chat room participants. And I do, again, give thanks to my wife, Prima of the Spirit Change. I close in prayer by saying, Dear God, we give this evening to you. May our minds stay centered on the things of spirit and goodness. And may we not be tempted to stray from love. As we begin this week, we open to receive you, and we ask that you enter where you already abide. And may our minds and hearts be pure and true, and may we not deviate from the things of goodness. And may we see the love and innocence in all mankind behind the masks we all wear and the illusions of this worldly plane. We surrender to you our doings this evening. We ask only that they serve you and the healing of the world. And may we bring your love and goodness with us to give unto others wherever we go. Make us people that you would have us be and direct our footsteps and show us what you would have us do. Make the world this 
safer, more beautiful place. We ask, O oh Lord, that you bless all your creatures and heal us all and use us, dear Lord, that we might know the joy of being used by you, as stated by Marion Williamson. We give thanks to you again. We're grateful. Namaste, shalom, assalamu alaikum. One love, peace, and blessings. God bless. Ashe. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.